Abraham, thank you so much. It's a delight to have you introduce me. You're so dressed up, I should have had you preach this morning instead of me doing the preaching. It's a real joy to um, always address the students from the Master's, Master's University. I was going to say Master's College, but you've graduated to a university. And so it's a real delight to be with you this morning and to share God's Word. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the, fourth, the third chapter of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. By God's divine providence, I understand we had a sermon here on Monday from the book of Proverbs chapter 1. So it's the Lord preparing our thoughts for uh, this morning's exhortation from God's Word. I'm a little bit grieved this morning because my hero passed away this morning, Dr. Billy Graham a great man of God that God used to preach to millions of people around the world, 1964, as a, um, in, in the process of being converted, I had a chance to attend the Billy Graham Crusade in San Diego and had a chance to walk forward and accept Christ as my Lord and Savior in a public manner. And what a delight that was. And then I was in the process of going out of high school to the university, to Biola University, to prepare for gospel ministry. And I had to work in Blythe. Blythe is in California, out by the uh, east side of California. It's about three feet from hell. You know what I'm saying? Degree in July is 118 degrees in the shade. And I was there working to earn some money to go to the university. And a fine fellow from Billy Graham Crusade sent me Bible studies out of the Gospel of John. And I had a chance to be grounded in the things of God. I owe a lot to the Billy Graham Association for their development in my life and for Mr. Graham in particular for impressing upon me the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was the only man my father ever listened to. My father was an unbeliever for many years. Even after I came to Christ, became a preacher, he was an unbeliever. But there was one man that he listened to, and that was Billy Graham. And later on, our dad came to Christ and loved the Lord, and now he's with him in heaven. So I'm sure they met this morning for the first time and had a chance to give him thanks for all that he did. Mark Twain, Mark Twain at the age of 18, said something like this. He said, when I was 18 years of age, I was a, a, appalled at how ignorant my father was. Then I turned 21 and I was amazed how much my dad had learned in three years. You know, we are in this institution to learn, and most of our learning will be academics. It'll be knowledge that'll prepare us to go on to do something in life, vocation, etc. But there's another aspect of learning that we need to pay attention to, and that's to grow in wisdom, to grow in wisdom. And I think our speaker on Monday introduced the book of Proverbs as one of the wisdom books, the choice gem God has given us, to prepare us for us to grow in wisdom. It is designed that you and I would take information, take knowledge, and apply it to our lives so that we can live a holy and godly life and truly honor Him in all that we do and all that we say. One of the very choice books that allows us to grow in wisdom. And if there's anything that we need to do as believers, especially as you and I journey, as you journey through this institution and as you're growing, you know, there's some people that are 20 years old, 20 going on 15. 
There's others that are 20 going on 30 or 40. And it all has to do with your grasp of wisdom, your grasp of God's, God's information, God's revelation, and applying it to your lives. And one of the choice books God has given us is the book of Proverbs. I would recommend that to you. One of the books that I've uh, taken in my life and, and make it almost a yearly practice that every day of the week I read a chapter that corresponds to this particular book. And so on the 21st day of February, I'll read chapter 21. And I'll do that over and over and over again. Because I want to make sure that I have the wisdom necessary for my own personal life and also especially in the area of ministering to God's people. So we need to grow in wisdom. And so I recommend that, you, that we would be disciplined enough to take these books that God has given us, especially Proverbs, and I'll allow it to become part of your life so that you'll be, you'll be a young man that's 20 years of age going on 40 or going on 30 or 40, a young lady 21 years of age going on 30 or 40. So when people look at you, they see a woman, not a girl. They see a man, not a boy. And Proverbs is designed to do that, to give us the information necessary. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are thematic. They're thematic. Almost every single chapter has a theme that goes alongside of it. By the 10th chapter, they become almost individual Proverbs, where every proverb becomes a nugget in itself. And you stop and you have to kind of digest the individual nugget. But the first nine chapters become thematic. Every chapter seems to have a theme that runs through that. The third chapter of Proverbs, the theme seems to be the honor of God, to magnify God, to put God first in our lives, to make him a priority, to honor God. So I'd like to have you read with me the first, first 12 verses of this chapter, and then we'll make some observations from it. My son, he says, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you'll find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord <clears throat> and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your soul, to your bones, should I say. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with, it, with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord, or loathe his reproof, for whom the Lord loves he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. The purpose of our existence is always for the glory of God. That's why God made us, that you and I live for the glory of God. And there is a sense where this chapter brings to the table the fact that as we live for God, we should honor him with our lives. That is to make him always preeminent, make him first in everything that we do. All our lives should be consumed in having God be number one, numero uno in our lives. Let me encourage us this morning, motivate you, motivate us to honor God. And the, uh, the author here, God here, would draw three 
three areas in which you and I would be well to honor him. First of all, in verse 5, to honor him in the plans of our life. Verse 9, secondly, to honor him with our wealth. And then thirdly, in verse 11, to honor him in our afflictions. These are the three thoughts that I would like to bring to our, our hearts this morning in regards. First of all, my friends, uh, to honor God with the plans of your life, with the plans of your life. I recall sitting as a freshman in the university and not always having a clear, clear idea of what God wanted me to do with my life. Perhaps you have the same situation in your life. You're in these halls, you're trying to discern what is it that God has for me? What is, what is the course that God has designed for me? What does God want me to do with my life? That is the paramount question we ask in an institution like this. And before we exit these halls, we should have a clear idea of what God would like us to do. And God would say, if you're going to make the right decisions concerning whatever plans in your life, number one, it should be to honor me with your plans, to honor me, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes, in your own ways, on your eyes, but, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. God is saying here, trust in the Lord with all of our plans. Seek God's plans for your life. That is a question we all, we all come to, to think about. God, what would you have me do with my life? And he would say, listen, don't rely on your own understanding. Don't rely on your own strength, your own abilities. Don't let pride get in the way. Don't be wise in your own eyes. But seek the Lord in regards to the plans that God has for you. Make sure that you trust in Him, in Him with all your heart. Don't allow pride to come into, into to jeopardize whatever God has for your life. You know, the word, the name Waterloo, name Waterloo, is a, is a name that stands because it marks the defeat of Napoleon. Napoleon was a master, master general, one of the great geniuses of the world. He knew how to lead. He knew how to lead men and how to win battles. But Napoleon had a major fault, and his fault was that he was very prideful, very prideful. It was his pride that allowed him to lose most of his army in his retreat from Russia. But it was his pride that caused his defeat at Waterloo. The morning of the battle, his chaplains came and spoke to him, and they said, General, would you like us to pray this morning? Would you like us to pray for God to help us? He said, no, we don't need God this morning. The British and the Prussians will be defeated by noon. And guess who was defeated that day? You see, if you trust in your own eyes and your own wisdom, you trust in your own strength, it may be that you will have your own Waterloo as well. And so he reminds us here, listen, you need to trust in the Lord. Put your entire confidence in Him. Don't, don't rely upon your own ingenuity. Don't rely upon 
your own wisdom. We need to call upon God in regards to this. He says in all, he says to trust him in everything. Trust in the Lord with all your heart to walk by faith, to walk by faith. Now there are some of us in this university here that you have, um, you have a, a great security blanket over you. You have perhaps some rich folks that are funding your operation here. Perhaps you have a, a, a foundation that's behind you. But there are many of us here who are here by faith. By faith. We came to the university by faith. We signed up. We launched into the situation. We don't have a clue how next year is going to come around. We're walking by faith. Friends, that's the best place to be. That's the best place to be. And that's what God is saying here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Walk by faith. Let him demonstrate that as you put your hands, you put, put your life in his hands, that he will carry you through from semester to semester, from year to year, and for the rest of your life. Put your plans, put your plans in his hands. He says here, in all your ways, in all your ways acknowledge him. That every major, every decision of life you put into the hands of God. And there are, going, there are going to be some major decisions in life that all of us need to make. Major decisions going to be, for example, number one, concerning your own salvation of your soul and the sanctification of your life. That that become a priority. That I know Christ, I know God is my Savior and that I'm living for Him. And my life is lived in a sanctified way for the glory of God. That is a decision we make, so we trust you to go over to God. Lord, in all my ways, in all my life, allow me to honor you by being the holy man and holy woman that God would have me do. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Give him the, the let him decide the vocation for your life. If there's a question mark concerning what would God, what would you have me do? Let God decide the vocation of your life. I mentioned to you that I, came to Christ, and I enrolled in a Christian college to pursue a course in ministry. But it's interesting that in the process of going to the university, I relied upon my own wisdom, and I changed my, I changed my major. I changed my vocation. Instead of going into the ministry, I was going to become a professor of, in a university. And so I changed my major to Latin American studies, and my, my direction was to become a professor of Latin American history in some California State University and there influence others for God. That was, that was my decision. That was what I wanted to do. But God had other plans. But I pursued that course and I almost went there until the final, the last two years of, the, of my studies and God spoke to me at a chapel and reminded me that that's not the course for me. The course for me was, was to be a preacher of the gospel, to preach the word of God. And so I did. I, re, I wept after the chapel Submitted my life to God. I said, Lord, here's my life in your hands, and you do with it what you want to do with it. And so God made me a preacher, and I've been that for the last 40-something years with no regrets, not one. In the center of God's will and having the, the, the delight of my life to be the preacher of the gospel. I can't believe, Abraham, and Adam, I can't believe that they pay me to have fun. They pay me to preach the, God, the word. They pay me to do what, what I love to do. When you're in the center of God's will. And so it's important for us then to let God decide the vocation of your life. Besides coming to Christ, besides coming to Christ and having, 
having uh, the vocation that God wants you, to, wants you to have, the other major decision that you'll be sometimes forced upon to make is that who am I going to marry? Let God decide your partner. Let God decide your mate. Oftentimes we scheme, we manipulate, we plan, uh, we, we choose. But may I encourage us to even allow that to be something that God determines, that God decides. That God find you that great man of God if you're a woman, and that God find you that great woman of God if you're a man. And that it's, the, it's God that chooses that partner for you. You let him decide for you. And then, when God allows you to come together, become husband and wife, then you will have heaven on earth instead of a hell on earth that so many experience today because they've made the wrong choices. You need to let God make the right choice. And that... That is something that, again, on the basis of, of, of faith, you need to trust God in regards to that. And don't panic. Don't, uh, don't get anxious if somehow you're 21 and still not married or 18 and a half, like some of you are, not quite committed. There is always time, all right? Just let the Lord decide whom he wants for you to marry. Because when you find the right spouse, when you, when you find God's partner for your life, he'll always give you much more than you could ever expect. If I had a list of requirements that I wanted for a woman, I would have never, never in my, my, in my wildest imaginations would have put a, together a list of the lady that God gave me to be my wife. We're going to celebrate 50 years of marriage this, uh, this summer, this August. And I'm just, what a... And she's the love of my life. Yeah, I mean, she's like, every, every day is like, a celebration for me. I can't believe that God gave me such a, such a jewel, such a gem to be a wife. But let God be the one to decide that. Let the Lord be the one that all the major decisions in life, that God be the one to be in all your, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And listen, it's not always the big stuff. It's sometimes even the little stuff. Somebody said, somebody wrote, don't sweat the small stuff because it's all small stuff. Well, to the believer, even the small stuff matters. It's important that you and I walk in such a way that in your plans, honor God in your plans. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. The end result's going to be, he says, and he's, you can expect God. If you put God first in your life, if you honor God in your plans, in your decisions, let Him decide, let Him lead, let Him be the one that chooses. He says you can expect God to be there for you. He says, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He'll make your path straight. Now, in that culture, there was no such thing as freeways or highways. They were all paths, byways, and these things were like up and down, rutted, full of boulders, etc. And to have a smooth path, to have a straight path, was in, in some ways a, a delight, and God is saying, listen, if you, if you place me first in your life, I will give you a, I'll give you a smooth path, a straight path. I will make your life easier. Now, life is never easy. But friends, with God, it is a lot easier. And God says, I will do that for you. In the fourth chapter, fourth chapter, verses 18 and 19, he says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. But the way of the wicked is like darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. And so God says, I, 
I will give you a straight path. He reminds us that he'll make our life enjoyable. He began by reminding us in chapter 3. He says, if you do this, then you're going to find favor and good repute in the sight of God and of men. In chapter 3, verse 21, he ends by reminding us that if you put God first, that he will go before you and he will give you an enjoyable life, a life where you can really say, this is a good life. Thank you, God. God is so good. You can bank on God if you trust God and you put all your plans in his hands and all your desires and all your, all your dreams, all that you want from God. Say, Lord, you be the one to decide for me. I want to trust in you. I want to let you to, to determine in my life not only the circumstances, not only my vocation, but my spouse and everything else in between. If you do that, then, friend, God will give you an enjoyable life with no regrets no regrets. And you have that decision, you have that choice now as you're starting in your early formative years to learn then to trust God with all that you have. Notice the author, secondly, verse 9, turns our thought, he says, not only honor me with your plans, but also honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. And God reminds us here to honor God with our wealth. Wealth can become a God, you know that. Money can become a God. Pursuit of wealth can become a God. Jesus said, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. You can only have one master. It's either God or your materialistic pursuits. You can't have. Even Jesus said, he says, Be, beware of all sorts of covetousness and greed, because not even when a man has an abundance of things does his life consist of his possessions. And the great, the great heir of America is that it continually broadcasts that you are what you have, that you are what you have. And that, from God's perspective, is not true not true. He says, no, you need to honor, honor God with your wealth. Put, put wealth, put money and things in perspective. The, way, the ways that we honor God is obviously, first of all, to recognize that God is our provider, that everything we have comes from God. The Apostle Paul reminded Timothy to address those that are rich in this present age, not to be conceited or to place their hope or their faith or the trust on the uncertainty of riches, but to place their trust in God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, 1 Timothy 6, 17. And so he says, listen, be sure that God is your provider. I grew up in a town called Calexico. Calexico is like the last town before, in California, before you go into Mexico. It's, uh, it's Calexico from California and then Exico. So Calexico, the town across the line is Mexicali from Mexico and California. So little town Calexico. And my father used to take us across the line to get a haircut. Across the line means we go to Mexico to get a haircut. Because it was 25 cents for a haircut if the barber was sober. You know what I'm saying? And so this is... <clears throat> and, I, and I recall sitting, 
My dad, was, my dad was getting a haircut, and I was sitting in the chair. And there was a big debate taking place. I can recall it. what happened yesterday. It happened like, you know, 100 years ago. But big debate, and one guy was saying, he pulled out, he pulled out a, a piece of money. He says, this es es mi Dios. This is my God. This is my God. And I was like, you know. <laughs> you know. And, and my dad was in the chair. My dad was in the chair. And man, he got, he got livid. And he says, yeah, I suppose that that is going to save you. I suppose that's going to save you. Now, mind you, my father wasn't even a Christian. But he had enough sense to recognize that money is not what saves us. Money is not our God. We need to know who it is that supplies us with everything. And it is God that supplies us with everything. I was jogging yesterday. You know, in the old days, you jog and you see money in the floor, you pick it up. You know what I'm saying? Well, at this stage, at this stage in my life, pennies are not worth picking up. You know what I'm saying? So I saw a penny and I thought twice about it and it's still there. You know what I'm saying? When I go back, I'll, maybe I'll pick it up next time. But, it, but, it, but it's interesting, you know, it is interesting that every single piece of currency we have from the lowest penny preaches to us in what? Talk to me. In God we trust. Interesting. Money tells you, don't put your trust in me. Whether I'm a penny or a $1,000 bill, don't you for a moment put your trust in me. Put your trust in your provider. It is God that supplies us with all things to enjoy. And it's interesting because, you see, some of you come from wealth. You come from wealth. And you learn to depend upon your wealth. And wealth is, in some ways, your God, little g. And you need to change that and, re and repent from that. And begin to trust in God and honor God with your wealth and recognize that it is God that is the source of everything that we have. And then we need a reminder from time to time. Because if we're not careful, we can go down the same way many others are going and think that wealth is the way to go. He says, honor God. Make sure that God is he that you are honoring. That he's the one that supplies you with all things to enjoy. That he's the one that... That God is the source of everything. And so we, we thank Him, we honor Him, we recognize Him. We ask Him to supply, we ask Him to provide. It is always this way. And if, if, if you and I are, are really honoring God, we're going to recognize that He's the one that supplies us with all things to enjoy. It means that somehow God is going to be the one. And when God provides us, we're going to become faithful stewards of all that he has given us. He says, he says here, honor the Lord. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor God with your wealth. That is that whatever God gives to you, make sure that it's his and that you're a good steward of that. That you manage, you're managing his money, his affairs, his, his stuff. It's not our stuff. It's all God's stuff. Even what you have now, what comes into your hands now, it is all God's stuff. And to honor, honor Him with that. To then honor God. And to make sure that our wealth is being used for the glory of God. It's not all self-serving. The text goes on at the end of the chapter to say, Be mindful of those that are in need. Be care, care, the, care for the poor. 
those that are needy, those that, that, that need your help. Don't shut your eyes to them. Don't close your ears. He says, no, be mindful of them. It says later on in the book of Proverbs, chapter 14, verse 31, that he that honors the poor honors their maker, honors their maker. In the 19th chapter, it says that he that lends to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord becomes the debtor. The poor can never pay you back, but God is their debtor. God becomes your debtor because you lend to the poor, you lend to the Lord, and the Lord is the one that comes and provides for you. And so he says, if you make... If you honor God with your, with your wealth, if you honor God with what you have, then you can always be assured that He will honor you. That's why in this very simple, very simple arrangement, He says, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. To them, it was prosperity. It was sufficiency. You place God first in what you have, then, friend, you'll always have sufficiency sufficiency you'll always have enough you'll always have enough and sometimes see you can you can hear you can be in an institution like this and have the bible and not always it doesn't always like sink through i mean i went through like like abraham said i went to viola university four years went to the to Talbot seminary another four years got married got married and i had my wife Beautiful lady, more than God had, I, I could ever deserve. I had her eating from, from hand to mouth. Cupboards were bare. We're having a f- horrible time financially. Why? Because I wasn't honoring God. I'm honoring God. I had this mixed thing that I was going to a seminary. All my money was going to pay for tuition and books. Why should I give offerings? When I was in the church and the offering plate passed by, I just, I just passed it on to the fool next to me. Let him put the money in. And not me. But I, 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 was, I, I didn't realize that I wasn't honoring God with my life. And so, never had sufficiency. I went to a huge church. You know, when you go to a huge church, you can hide under a huge church. In a small church, you got a birthmark, they all know you. You know what I'm saying? But you went to a big church. And I sat way in the back, like where all those backsliders sit back there. And I was way in the back. And the guy was preaching on, <laughs> preaching on giving, preaching on tithing and giving to God. And I was way in the back. And there was, only one, there was only one man in that audience that morning, me. And God spoke to me and said, you have your family, you have your wife in rags because you're not honoring me. And God spoke to me that day and changed my, the course of my life. And I started Honoring God with all that we have. And it doesn't matter the amount you make, just to honor God. And I can testify that from that day to this day today, we have never lacked anything. We've always had more than enough to meet for all of our needs, more than enough. God has been more than sufficient, but you need to honor Him. Honor Him. Being in a Christian college, being in Christian ministry, being a Christian doesn't excuse you being under grace doesn't excuse you as grace givers we should always be willing to give generously because God has been so gracious to us you want to have sufficiency he says honor me honor me you're going to have contentment the fourth chapter of Philippians Paul ends the chapter by saying I am in jail here in prison but listen I am so content I am so content 
I honor God with all that I have. I am so content. And you're going to be content too because you're honoring me by supporting me in this prison. I have learned the secret of having a lot and having a little. In every, in every circumstance, I am content. It's not the amount you have. It's making sure that it's God at the center of everything, and you're going to be content. You're going to be content. That's, that's what matters. I was in preaching, Adam. I was, I was in Mexico City preaching to the pastors in Mexico City, and there was a fellow there in the audience. And I said to them, you know, I'm a pastor, and I'm, I'm content by going to McDonald's for lunch or going to, you know, Carl's for lunch and getting a, a, a chicken sandwich with a glass of water. And that will do it for me. And when I feel like splurging, I'll get a chicken sandwich with a double cheeseburger <laughs> and a senior's coffee, and that's like three bucks. <laughs> like I'm really splurging. And I'm content. I'm content. Filet mignon, you know. Yeah, you know. Cheeseburger's just as good, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> So he came to California to a shepherd's conference just to check it out to see if it was really true. And it is true. See, you, you honor God and you'll always be content. You won't be like the wicked leech that God speaks about later on in Proverbs. The leech has two names, give, give, or two daughters. Yeah. And, and, and this is what, you know, this is what God's going to bring you where you'll have... You'll be able to have, be generous, generous. You know, some of our you students were jumping up and down last semester when they cut tuition. Wasn't that great? Yes. Yeah, you're not, you see, not, not even then you're satisfied, you see. Blood-sucking leeches, you know. what? <clears throat> but only, it's only possible because you, there's generous givers out there who've done exactly this. They've honored God with their wealth. And, and I want you to keep that in mind because you're going to graduate, go out and get great jobs, etc. And you think about our students here and make this part of your donation, part of your generosity. To allow the students that come after you to share in the, in the joy that you have had and the blessing that God has given you. And so he says, listen, honor me. Honor me with your wealth. So honor me, first of all, with your plans. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will make your path straight. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I'll grant you favor with God and favor with man. In all your ways, acknowledge me, and I'll make sure that you enjoy the life that you live with me. Honor me with your wealth. Recognize that I am the one that supplies you with all things to enjoy. Honor me first. Put me first. Make sure that you are a wise steward of all that I give you. And I'll supply you. I'll supply you so that you'll always have what you need. You'll always be content with what you need. You'll always have a surplus to share with those around you who maybe are less fortunate. And you'll understand what it means when I say to you, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so the Lord impresses it upon us. Now follow me in our text, chapter 3, because he comes down to verse 11 and 12. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. 
For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. People of God, let me remind you of a truth here that maybe we don't stop to think about. And that is to honor God in our afflictions. Honor God in our afflictions. Honor God in our trials. Honor God when things don't always seem to go the way we think they ought to go. Honor God when sometimes the going gets tough. And that's what he says here. Honor God within your afflictions. All activities that happen to us come from God. Even our afflictions, even our trials. You see, bad things do happen to good people. Just because you're a believer, just because you're honoring God, even with the, four, with the four, first two things, we can still experience bad things. And bad things do happen to good people. And there's a reason for them. And this is why he says things happen because, you see, somehow it is, it is natural. Bad things happen because it's natural. We live in a world that's a real world, a world that is cursed because of Adam's sin. A world that is not always what it needs to be. A world where things, where famines happen and pestilence happens and accidents happen. And young boys go to school and kill people. Kill your sons. Kill your brothers and sisters. Things like this happen. This is the real world. And life is not fair. It isn't fair. It hasn't been fair since Adam, Adam's day. And this is the world that we live in. This is why the Apostle Paul said, you know, in Romans 8, we, we, we are in this world of afflictions. We groan, nature groans. We all groan. And so this is part of it. He says, but understand also that, that afflictions and troubles and difficulties and testings are also providentially ordered by God. They become, in, in His hand, the discipline of the Lord. It becomes the way by which He... He comes and He deals with us. He deals with us. And when you put together some of these great texts that speaks about Christians and afflictions and trials and difficulties, like Romans 5, and He said, not only that, we exult in the hope of the glory of God, but not only that, He says in Romans 5, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation works about perseverance, and perseverance works about proven character, and proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint. James says, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Because the trials in your life produce endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. That you may be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. And so it reminds us here, reminds us here that, that the discipline of the Lord is something that is providentially given to us by God. And when you put these all together along with Hebrews chapter 12 where he expounds this great text in the New Testament, you find that, that, that his discipline is a, is a demonstration of his love for us. Of his love for us. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. So let me ask you, does he love you? Talk to me now. Does he love you? Absolutely. Then you can expect him to do what? To discipline you. That's how he proves to you that, that there's there, that the great love. It's a proof of his sonship. He scourges every son whom he receives. He wants you and I to honor him with our lives. And he, 
And he, and he scourges every son whom he receives. When I talk to my wife and I, my wife, talk, I tell her about our, when I was growing up, I had a brother, a, little, a young, younger brother, and, and we had a little group of kids in our neighborhood. When I share with her the things that we did, she says to me, you're the kind of boy I would never let my children play with. And I recall one day, the neighbor called my dad and said, your boys here have broken a window in my, my house. And then we, we got home that day. The little gang showed up, my son, my brother, myself, and a buddy, a couple of buddies. And he said, come here, come inside. He called us by name. He called us by our full name. When dad calls you by full names, you're dead. <laughs> and my dad was old school. He was old school. He was not this, you know, Dr. Spock generation. He, he didn't have like, he didn't wear like the, the, the thick belt. He was old school, you know, cholo type, you know. And he had this real thin belt, thin belt. And he said, come in. And so we, we, we and, and as soon as he walked in, he, all you heard was, all you heard was, all you heard was, <laughs> And he said, come in. And he taught us to break dance that day. You know what I'm saying? We just like... And I said, I, said, I said, Dad, 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 those boys were there too. What about them? Why don't you whip them too? He said, those aren't my sons. You are my sons. And he disciplined us. You see, whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. You ever out of line, out of whack? You can expect the Lord to apply some measure of discipline. It always hurts people. It's always painful. But it's designed there for our good. It says in Hebrews 12 that it's designed to promote holiness in our lives. It is like Peter says in chapter 1, he says it's like faith that is purified by fire. To remove the dross and purities. And to produce a godly man and a godly woman. And God is doing that. As he disciplines us, as we face trials and difficulties, he's doing that. Listen, if you're a true child of God in this auditorium and you really are belong to Him, you can't, you can't be wayward very long. You can't be sneaky and doing your stuff on the side, play the part of a hypocrite, do this and that, and somehow escape from it because you know what? You're not going to. The Father who loves you will catch up with you and He'll apply the rod of discipline to you so that you will be holy because all of His children are holy. His discipline is also to teach us perseverance perseverance, that we learn to hang in there, that we learn to not give up, that we be the kind of people that are really there for the long haul. And if anybody should have perseverance, it should be God's people. I was reading Forbes magazine or Fortune magazine, one of those magazines that I subscribe to, and there's a whole article on the kind of people that businesses are looking for. They're looking for people with grit, with grit. What kind of people... People that have grit that can stay in there and not give up and not quit when there's problems or difficulties or hassles or, or challenges. And God is going to do that with us. Send us trials and afflictions and problems and testings that we would learn how to be strong and, and not quit, not give up. It may be the afflictor that God sends you away. Maybe it will be one of your professors. It could be, a, yeah, one of your biology professors, or maybe he's a Greek professor. For me, it was the Greek professor. Dr. Thomas was like evil. You know what I'm saying? Evil. And we used to hate him. 
not really hate him, but we just, we just were, we didn't know how to take him. He was such a nice guy, but brutal. <laughs> you see, God may send you someone like that to teach you perseverance, not to give up, don't quit. And this is why, you know, as Winston Churchill said, you know, over and over again, never, ever, ever give up. Hang in there. No, don't ever, don't ever, don't ever quit. Never quit school, middle of a semester. Oh, you know, I taught at the seminary. Guys, halfway through the semester, wanted to quit. You know, Montoya, I feel that God is asking me to leave seminary. No, he's not. God's not asking to leave seminary. The devil is. Stay in there. Finish, finish the course and then quit. Finish the race and then quit. But don't quit the middle of the stream. Middle of the, don't, don't jump out now. Finish it. Be a finisher. Have grit. And see, perseverance does that to us. It produces usefulness. Peter, Paul tells Timothy, it is this clean vessel that God is able to use. Now this is why, this is why the Bible says here, God says, listen, 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 my son. Do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. We respond in the, in, in the wrong way, people. When trials come our way and difficulties come our way, when somehow hassles come and our life gets out of sort, we respond in the wrong way. Some of us react. We resist God's discipline. We don't want to change behavior. We want to change a lifestyle. And so what happens? Like it says later on in Proverbs, he that hardens his neck after much rebuke will, will be broken suddenly without, without remedy. If a tree will not bend, it will break. And when God disciplines you, if you don't respond and repent and change, then you will break. And so let's Respond positively to his discipline. Look at it. Don't get angry. We get, we get angry sometimes. We have a whole generation of people blaming all kinds of stuff. You know, we have some of us here, we weren't raised. You were raised maybe in homes where your mom and dad were like not the best people. Maybe your dad was one of these stoic, hard-nosed guys that drove a hard bargain and you never felt this tenderness and kindness from him. Maybe you, maybe you didn't have a complete set of parents. Maybe you had an upbringing where things were tough and etc. And there's an anger and a bitterness about you. And you don't recognize that even back then, in the great providence of God, he was preparing a servant of God by putting you through, through the furnace of affliction and the furnace of fire. That at the result of this trial that would come out, Come on, a, 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 a jewel, a, a diamond for God. Don't get angry at that. Don't get angry. I was watching television today, and they had this movie on Tanya, I, Tanya. Remember that one? This Olympic skater, whatever, and she's all upset at her mom. Oh, mom, mom, mom. Fool, your mom's the one that put you through all the training to go and come on Olympic. You're, you're angry at her? Shut up. Wishy-washy, spineless, boneless, twinky, snowflake. <laughs> Don't get mad at your... Now you can be in this auditorium here and angry, angry at your mom, angry at your dad, angry at God. 
Why? Why? Thank God that somehow God was preparing you for such a time as this. That's what it's about. Looking back. Don't, don't get depressed. Don't get, don't, don't get overwhelmed. Don't, don't become so overwhelmed with the issues and problems that you just get depressed. And don't by any means become part of this opioid, opioid epidemic taking drugs and stuff to kind of cope with life. No, friend, that is not. No, God is, God is trying to teach you something. God is trying to work something in your life. Respond to it in a positive way and by no means ever lose your faith in God. Follow me now. Listen. Listen to me. Stuff can happen in a Christian university. It can happen that shouldn't happen. And your temptation would be to blame God. Don't. 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 Stuff happens. Not a perfect world. Don't ever lose your faith in God. Be like our friend Job. Remember Job in the Bible? The other wisdom literature? Job. He lost all his children, lost all his wealth, lost all his health. Even his poor missus, even she flipped out. Remember that one? Mrs. Job, even she went by the wayside. And you know what he said? He says, though he slay me, though he kills me, yet I will trust him. Wow. Wow. See, that is what God is trying to impress upon us. Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so let's respond like the way God wants us to respond. Let's respond with a sense of joy to welcome, to welcome the care that God has for us. When there is a trial, when there is an affliction, when there is an issue, welcome, welcome that when it happens to you. Welcome that. Adam, we just had our first baby when I was in seminary. We had our first baby. Alex was born and, and, uh, and I went to work one day, Friday afternoon, 2.30 in the afternoon, the boss fired me. He called me in. He says, Alex, that's your last day at 3.30. Pick up your check. You're done. No two weeks notice, no nothing. Just you're gone. Newlywed, two years. A son just born, fired. How do you respond to that? God, where are you? Oh, God's always been there. I walked out with my little paycheck, said in the 1967 Volkswagen Fastback, sat there, gave thanks to God. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you gave me a job. Thank you that you fired me. I don't know why you did it, why you did it, but it's got to be good. It's got to be good. And it was. It was the best thing ever. If it wasn't for that firing, I wouldn't be here this morning. That was a turning point in my life firing from that job you see just welcome it as much as it hurts there may be tears in your eyes and I, like I wasn't like throwing like having jumping jacks in that Volkswagen I was like thanking God anyway see this is what it's about learn to trust him depend upon him you can, you, you can ask for God to take the trial away but sometimes he won't and so the Lord said, teach me to depend upon you, to trust in you, to know that you're going to be there. 
You're going to be there for me no matter what. In my affliction and my trial, I know you're going to be there. And you know what? He comes through every single time. Every single time. You learn to appreciate. Appreciate all the people and circumstances that God has brought in your life that has made you what you are today. Now follow me, follow me. Been around you a long time. There's some of you here that are really firme. In Spanish word, firme means firm. You know what I'm saying? You're just tough. You're like, you know what? You're like the Apostle Paul incarnate. You know what I'm saying? You're like Moses. And there's others of you that are Twinkies. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, you can, you, can, you can dunk a basketball, but you're Twinkie inside. You know what I'm saying? You might be a gal that's like, you know, but you're twinky inside. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, now follow me. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I'm asked to come here. I don't, I don't want to come here. They asked me to come. That's why I can come and talk like this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Listen, you know who you are. You know who you are. And you're going to have trials and difficulties because God wants to take that piece of coal and turn it into a diamond. And the only way he can do it is through trials and difficulties and afflictions and discipline. That make sense to you? It's the only way. That's how it happens. And so, and so in the process... To appreciate all that God is going to be doing in this process. You're going to have some good professors and some real tough ones. Get some, some folk, folks that will be nice to you and folks that will not be nice to you. Get some good days and some bad days. But then all see the hand of God is there. Nothing happens by accident. Appreciate that. And recognize that God is doing something here, preparing a choice servant for a great ministry, a great ministry. We're in the middle of these Olympics, Winter Olympics. I love them. I I just love it. One of my heroes, Eric Little, from a long time ago, great uh, hero of mine. I was... They've even made a movie, Chariots of Fire. Ah, watch it all the time. Once they get the accent down, watch it all the time. You know, it ends. This man, Eric Little, honored God. Wanted to honor God. It was always God first, not the Olympics. God first, not his talent. God first. Would not run on the Sunday. It was the Lord's Day. And so because he wouldn't run on the Sunday... He was scratched from his main race. He was given another race, the 400-meter race, which was not his, but he was given it to run. And in the film, the day that he ran it, in the film, the American, one of the American comes and gives him a piece of paper right before the race, a piece of paper. And the piece of paper was a verse, 1 Samuel 2.30. 1 Samuel 2.30, where it says, he that honors God, God will honor. 
He that honors God, God will honor. My dear people, I give you a piece of paper. And he that honors God, God will honor. Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us to exalt you as we sang earlier, to magnify you. Thank you. Help us to honor you with our plans, to honor you with our wealth, to honor you with the discipline you give us in our lives. And Lord, move from this great assembly. Prepare, prepare choice servants for your service. We ask you for your glory. In Jesus' name.